The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Name's Ken, and my wife is Janie. She's sitting right there. And uh, we are church planters. Um, We're going to be planting a church near here. And Story City is going to help us with that through a residency I'm going through here. So, um, yay, Story City, right? <laughs> so I'm going to read the scripture. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement? does Christ have with Balal? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are, for we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And in Spanish now. Ustedes no son iguales a los que no tienen fe en Cristo. Entonces no se junten con ellos. ¿Acaso hay algo en común entre la justicia y la injusticia? ¿Cómo puede estar la luz junto con la oscuridad? ¿Puede haber un pacto entre Cristo y Satanás? ¿Qué puede haber en común entre un creyente y alguien que no cree en Cristo? El templo de Dios no puede tener ningún pacto con los ídolos ni nosotros somos el templo de Dios viviente. Así como Dios dijo, viviré y caminaré con ellos. Yo seré su Dios y ellos serán mi pueblo. Y por eso, dice el Señor, salgan de entre esa gente y sepáranse de ellos y no toquen nada impuro y los aceptaré. Seré su padre y ustedes serán mis hijos y mis hijas. Así dice el Señor Todopoderoso. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, it's good to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh Wright. I've been at Story City for five years. We've had the uh, illustrious first time of coming when we were at a uh, comedy club. I remember sending my son over the bar to the nursery that was behind it. (laughs) And my first thought was, I like this church. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, welcome to us. We are a a church of, of many locations. We also have Granada Hills. We're looking to relaunch or launch. Um, one of the things that we believe at Story City is that we're on mission apprenticing who Jesus is. And what that simply means is that we're trying to pattern our lives after him more and more day in and day out. One of the things, one of the joys I get to have um, at this church is I get to do a lot of biblical counseling. One of the things that happens in biblical counseling is people show up with symptoms that they think are the problem. And they're looking for relief from their symptoms. By the way, that's me too, right? And one of the wonderful things we do at Story City and one of the heart, our heart for salvation in the gospel is 
we dive below the symptoms to understand what is going on with our heart because that is, in fact, where things are coming from. And you also become acutely aware if you've ever gotten into someone's life to realize, I don't know how to change this either. But the wonderful thing is, is that we know the one who does. And so we get to guide and walk people back to the Savior and say, he gets to do the heart work, but let's not focus on symptoms, let's actually get to the heart. And so at Story City, one of the things we are, you'll hear us talk about this, is gospel-oriented. Gospel is just that good news that God can come and change our hearts fundamentally to its core. And then do you think our symptoms change after that? They do. All right, before we get started, let's pray real quick. God, we don't need more of me. We don't need more of us. We need more of you today. We pray that you would show up and that you would make this time a blessing for all that hear. In your name, amen. I know there's a lot of writers in this room. You don't need to be told this. I already know you know. You're excited as I am for the annual writing competition for the worst analogies ever written. <laughs> I know you guys research. You do the fantasy draft. You're ready. For the rest of you, you're probably wondering, what is this guy talking about? Um, let's just get to those good analogies, right? All right, here they are. Here's some of the winning analogies. If this is not your humor, I apologize. This is mine to my core, okay? Here they are. The actress was gone, but not unnoticed, like the period after Dr. and Dr. Pepper can. Most of you are like, I didn't even know it was missing, and now you're having to think about it. All right, there's more, don't worry. McBride fell 12 stories, hitting the pavement like a hefty bag filled with vegetable soup. I didn't say these were, these are bad, right? <laughs> the man was as tall as a six foot three inch tree. <laughs> the hailstones leapt from the pavement just like maggots when fried in hot grease. I almost didn't include that one and I thought I have to. And this is my all time favorite. The little boat gently drifted across the pond exactly the way a bowling ball wouldn't. <laughs> you know, what's, what's great about these and what's interesting is that analogies are supposed to paint that good picture, right? It's supposed to take the reader and link them to something that you know to kind of expound on that topic, right? That's what makes bad ones so bad is that they do a horrible job of it while also doing an amazing job at the same time. Well, the Bible's filled with analogies. And the Bible's trying to get the reader to connect a word or phrase to see something through their mind's eye. And often, God speaks in analogies. Here's some examples. I am the bread of life. What's he trying to get at? You need me. You're hungry. We can't just sit and look at the bread. You have to ingest and take me in you. See how that all comes with him just describing himself as the bread of life? I am a lion, a lamb, a warrior, a fountain, a rock, I'm like a nursing mother. Those are all terms God has used as an analogy to try to get the reader to say, this is what my heart is like. I want you to connect this to this. But in reality, there's something else. God actually refers to himself in something else. It's not just an analogy. It's an upgrade from an analogy. This is actually something we call his personhood. He's not saying, I am like this. He goes, I am this. And he has three of them. And we're going to cover one of them today and then the next two after this. 
And this is part of our series on centered, foundational relationship with God and others. So as God shows up in Scripture and says, here's who I am, wouldn't it be great to know what he's talking about and what he's trying to get us to understand in that? So he refers to himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you've been around church long enough, you recognize that and you say, oh, that's the Trinity. And that's the fancy theological word we use called Trinity. We're really clever. We said three things. Okay, we're going to come up with Trinity. We thought about trio for a while, but we went with Trinity. Um, But these aren't analogies. God is actually saying, this is who I am. So today I want to do two things. I want to explore what God says when he says I'm the Father. We want to highlight and understand what it means. And then second of all, we want to understand how that fits into a story. So there's two things. One, we're going to understand what does God mean when he says that? And then second of all, is God telling a story by being a father, son, and the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that is yes, and we'll get to that at the very end. Make sense? Yes. All right. So in 2 Corinthians, which you just heard in English and in Spanish, thank you, I caught five words in Spanish, padre, hijos, I think, and a few others I captured, so uh, my Spanish is phenomenal. Um, Paul is the writer of that. Um, He's writing to a church called Corinth. Corinth was about as jacked up as it gets. So if you like messy church, great. Corinth is full of that. But Paul actually is quoting when he says this. You will, so I will, I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. At the very end, you heard that portion, right? I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. He is actually, Paul's actually quoting from the Old Testament in Leviticus and Exodus. And here he's trying to convince the Corinthians to reevaluate their relationships and allegiances and what they worshipped. And see, as part of his main argument, Paul says, hey, remember something that God is your Father. So let's understand that. So you see the Bible starts with God, and I want to kind of take it all the way back. Jared talked about the gardens last time, right? He kind of did the whole Bible in one sermon, right, if you were here for that. If you go way back to the beginning, God is creator who lovingly makes the world. If you think about it, he's slowly beginning to make in Genesis chapter 1. He says, I'm going to make the earth. I'm going to make the stars. I'm going to make the animals. I'm going to make the the trees. I'm going to make the bugs. I'm going to make everything. But you get this sense that he's almost like a stage that he's building. And as he builds, it suddenly slows down because God says, this is all good. But he's not done. There's almost a dramatic pause where all of creation is holding his breath and says, what's coming next? All this was not the point in one sense. What's coming next? And here's what he says. I'm going to make mankind. There it is. That's what this has all been building to. I'm going to make mankind, not just a creature, but in his likeness, right? And he calls them his children. So here we go. Here's the father connection, right? For those, these are the people he wants to do relationship with, to live life. He is the father as a parent, and he's just made his creation and kids. You see, when God talks about himself as a father, he wants us to go all the way back, I think, to the beginning. And he wants us to remember three things, I believe. One, we were lovingly created with purpose and on purpose. That can be comforting, can't it? We lose track of that a lot. Lovingly created with purpose and on purpose. We're not going to go down the road right now of like, but I've got questions about this, God. It's for another day. We're not orphans. 
We're not forgotten. He didn't just make and then release us into the world and says, good luck with that. He said, you're going to be my children and I will be your father. We are going to do relationship together as you live out stewarding my creation. Here's the other part. We are part of a family, God's family. Here's the interesting thing. If you are visiting here and you're just getting to know who Jesus is and you're interested in knowing kind of what the Bible's about, do you know you're already part of his family? We're going to talk about it in a second, and Paul was doing this in his passage where he says, but are you okay with that? Or are you trying to live out your own life with your own family? But here's the reality. When God made all this wonderful, amazing things, we get the sense that things went really wrong, don't we? It doesn't take very long. Sin, which the Bible calls, says is rebellion against God, um, says we don't want to be part of his family. We want to go our own way. We want to do what we want to do. We want to choose our own path. And it took us away from God. And that path was not good. It still isn't good. See, here's the promise of sin. Sin promises to hurt us, but not just a little. It promises to hurt us a lot. You see, when Paul was writing, I'm not going to pull up the passage again, he was comparing and contrasting. Remember, he says, hey, Corinthians, which one are you going to pick? Your path or the path in God's family? And here's the words he uses to describe what it's like in God's family. Righteous. Light, full of light. Isn't that good? If it ever feels dark, maybe you should ask, where, where am I living right now? Whose household am I living in? He describes it as a temple being in the temple of God. It's a concept of worship. He describes it as living versus dying. He describes it as harmony. And then he compares and contrasts this with the other paths of sin. He says, if you're living your own path, it's going to feel like lawlessness, darkness, unbelief, and idolatry. In the story of the Bible, this horrible effects of sin is cataloged in great detail from chapters 3 in Genesis all the way to the end. So if you've ever picked up your Bible and said, that's jacked up, I just read blank, that's okay. Because all that's happening in the Bible is God is simply saying, yes, do you see the effect of sin? Do you see how powerful it is and what just happened? And it's, and it's cataloged, not just for the old times. Here's the reality. That same hurt and horror that we see and find in God's word, we can't distance ourselves from that. That's found in our city. And not just our city, our neighborhoods. And not just our neighborhoods, but our church. Not just our church, but our row you're sitting in. And not just your row, but your seat. You don't, I rarely have to tell people, hey, you got anything that's hurting you in life right now? I said, sometimes part of uh, biblical counseling is no one ever shows up and goes, I'm having a phenomenal day. I just wanted to talk about it. (laughs) The reality is somebody's hurting. They're hurting. Something has happened to them. They've been involved in something. The pain has gotten to a point where they can't ignore it anymore. Um... So what happens next? So back to this God as Father. His first act was creating. Here's the wonderful thing. God didn't stop creating. He created one more thing. He created a way where we, he comes and rescues his children to be part of his family again. See, he made and, and created and developed the world, and everything was good and right, and then it all broke. And everything went chaos and haywire. And the reality is, see, we don't see God just sitting there saying this, well, you've deserved that. 
You made your choice, now live with it, I don't care, right? I get that sense from the, uh, oh goodness, Disney, Beauty, Beast, there it is, Beauty and the Beast, where he screams, you can just starve, right, when she doesn't refuse to eat. That's not the God we have. He recognizes and knew that there was no way for us to fix the mess. We're not just lost in need of a flashlight to find our way out, right? Hey, God, I'm fine. Just leave me alone. If you just give me a flashlight, it's a little dark, but not super dark, and I feel like I've got it, and if I could just kind of work my way through this, I could find my way out. That's not how God describes it. He describes it more like this, change locking us trapped in darkness. And the reality is, at that point, we need a savior, don't we? We need someone to find us in the darkness and break the chains and allow us to go free. And see, this is what God the Father does. He's building and creating. He says, I know what you are. I now need to create one more thing. I need to create a way for you to return to relationship with me. See, in our passage, Paul tells the same story, and I love this, right? I'm going to read it again. They'll just lead at least 16 and 17, 18. I will dwell among them and walk with them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separated. You see this, God? I'm going to go find you. And when I find you, I'm going to set you free. And you're going to be mine again, and you will walk with me. Do not touch what's unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. See, this plan of salvation doesn't end with a parent who hates their kids and holds it over them every day to remind them how bad they've been. Maybe your earthly father or parent has done that. That's not the God we have. He promises closeness, right? He promises cleanness. He promises welcome, and he promises being a part of a family. But why do we believe this? Here's the reality. That's a great story, Josh. I like the sound of it. This is where a lot of people get trapped. They get stuck at this point that says, I either don't believe that that much goodness could exist for me, or don't you see how strong my sin is in my life? And that's why at the very end of the passage that Paul says, he says this, I will be your father to you and you will be my sons and daughter, says the Lord, what's the last word? Does anyone remember? Almighty. Do you see why he ends it that way? He says, you think what you're dealing with is strong, I am stronger. I'm able to create something that is stronger than either where you are or your unbelief. And so he connects it to his strength. The sin and hurt and habits and bondage and chains are not as strong as God, our Father, our parent who creates and rescues through his strength. So we encounter and see God, and as he talks about himself as a father, This is my question for you. As you read, if you're new to the scripture, or even if you've been in the scripture for a long time, and you're just like, I want to pick up my Bible and read. If you bump into this thing where God goes, Father, I want us to remember this. He's trying to tell this story in here. And he's trying to say, I am the God who created you and the path to restore the brokenness that we have. Well, I don't know. I was in high school when um, all the Harry Potter books came out. And um, I didn't read them because I didn't care. So we can talk about that later, I know. (laughs) But there was this interesting moment where there was a one book that came out and people took off school and read 400 pages in one day so that no one could spoil the ending. But then the next day they came into class and they would yell this, and I didn't know what was going on. They'd yell, Dumbledore died. (laughs) 
I still don't know what that means, but it got a lot of people really mad. And I remember thinking, good, I hated him. And they're like, no, he was a good guy. And I said, oh, okay, I don't know what's happening even more now. And so let me ruin the next two sermons for you in the same way. So I think the three persons of the Godhead, who he says, I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are actually sharing the story of the gospel. So here's how it works. God is Father. God is the creator, the parent, who lovingly made us and made us for relation to him to be part of his family, who has also designed and created a plan and empowered that plan of salvation, right? All right, we're going to get to this next week. God the Son, that's Jesus. That shouldn't be a spoiler, okay? (laughs) He is the plan of salvation in action. He is the sacrifice, the lamb, the one who has delivered salvation by his death and resurrection on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who lives in us and empowers us to live out that new salvation daily. Do you see that? Do you see as God calls himself? And guess what? Isn't that so like God to do that? To show up and say, again, I'm pointing back to the gospel and for who it is. Again, as you read your Bible, think about this over and over and over again. God continues as a father, steps in and says, I am going to build rescue for you because you need to remember and know that not only am I building rescue in this moment of your life that you need it, but I'm building rescue at a grander scale for your soul and relationship with me. Look at this. He rescues his children in Egypt when they were slaves. Is that their biggest problem they had? Their biggest problem was relationship with him, and they needed to trust that he could build a rescue plan for their heart and soul. He rescued his children in in the Red Sea when they were trapped. He rescued his children in the desert when they were thirsty. He rescued his children in the desert when they were hungry. I could add he rescued his children in the desert when they were just grouchy and punks, right? If you know this story. He rescued his children in battle when they faced giants. He rescued his children when they were facing loss and death and childness. He rescued his children when they were facing fear, worry, rejection, and pain. Those, again, are symptoms to the greater need we had, which I started with, which is we need building relationship. We need our heart changed, and we need relationship back with Christ. And he says over and over again, look, if I can rescue you from here, my plan for salvation, my rescue plan is still intact. I have one more page. Well, I lied. One in that little tiny bit. I have two things. There was a wonderful woman at our church a couple years ago. Um, She found out she had stage four cancer. And I want to talk about this as God and his father again. So just bear with me here, and then I'm going to jump to one last little piece about Eve and Adam in the garden, okay? Can you hang with me on that? All right. She prayed, and she went through chemotherapy, and she said, God's going to rescue me. He's going to miraculously heal me. A month later, do you think she was sicker or better? She was sicker. It's okay. God's going to rescue me. My father is going to come and rescue me. And she got sicker. And she prayed and got prayed. And she got sicker and sicker and sicker until her last week on earth. Because she passed away. She died. The cancer took her life. She changed one thing. She goes, oh, my father is going to rescue me. But it's actually going to be with a new body in about seven days. Not through what I had thought. And so even in that moment, she was wrestling and struggling with where is God as father? And he was there the whole time. And the same story of her life, which was, will God rescue me? The answer was yes. And she knows this now in real 
true flesh, that when she said, I know I can have a new life, a new body, and be with God. Remember that I will dwell with you portion of that? She is now dwelling with him in newness. But the reality is our hearts and souls need this story. And here's, what, here's what's interesting. Right at the very beginning, and this is where we'll end here in about three more minutes, but at the very beginning when Adam and Eve had sinned and they were in the garden and chaos now, their relationship was broken with God, completely chaotic, everything was broken. Sin had now destroyed all that they had had. It's really interesting. There's two very, one of my favorite parts of, this, of, that, of that portion of Scripture is this. Um, they were hiding behind bushes, and they were naked and afraid, right? There's the first, that's the first time that, that series really was, Naked and Afraid. It was Adam and Eve. <laughs> and the God of all the universe, who knew exactly where they were, went and walked in the garden and asked something. He asked a question. When I asked, God asked a question, that's always interesting to me. He asked, where are you? God know where they were? So when God asks a question like that, he's in pursuit, right? He's in pursuit of them and said to them, where are you? And he wasn't asking physically, where's your GPS location? He was asking where they were relationally with him. And then he drew them out of the hiding. And they thought they were going to be punished. But here's what God did, which I think is amazing. He does three things in that first portion of, of, of Genesis. One, he tells them something amazing. He says, someday, somebody's going to come who will rescue you and be a savior to you. And that person is me, as Jesus, but I'm going to send a savior to make this all new and make this right. So he gives them hope in that moment. He is already designing, right, that plan for how to rescue his children. He clothes them. Do you know that? They were naked there. He clothes them in that first chapter. The nakedness represents their shame. And Jesus says, I care about that. God says, I care about that. I'm going to go and solve that now for you on the surface, but you've got a deeper problem of shame than I'm going to go now. And I'm going to eventually send my son, who is me, to die on the cross so that we can deal with this permanently and forever. And then my last part, which I love this the most. Do you know that Adam and Eve didn't have names until this point? Eve wasn't called Eve until this moment. And at this moment, Adam actually turns to her and says, your name from now on is going to be called Eve which is the mother of all living. Because he, in that moment, in an encouragement to her and to them, looks down through history and says, Eve, someday, your great, 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 great granddaughter, Mary, will have a baby, and that baby will be Jesus, who will rescue us from our sins. So Eve, I know it feels broken right now for us, but I want every day that I wake up and I say, hi, Eve, mother of all living, I want you to remember that God has built a rescue plan throughout history to bring Jesus to save us from our sins. That make sense? Yes. Isn't that great? Chapter three, and then the rest of it we get. So I'm going to leave you dramatically there because next week we're going to do God the Son, and that's Jesus coming onto the stage. But let's pray real quick, and we're going to pray that we in our own hearts would have the courage to step toward God as Father, and that we would have the joy of relationship with Him, either for the first time or maybe for the 50th time we needed to remind ourselves of that. Sound good? All right. God, we are thankful that you, as a parent, a loving parent, 
made us with purpose and then didn't stop creating when we were in so much trouble that we could not find our way back to you but that you made a plan that we can do relationship back with you that we can do life with you again and that you have a plan for our hurt our shame our our even as we saw last year with one of our dear you have a plan for us even in our dying that it is not the end that you are a good good father i pray that you'd bless those this day in your name amen